Our scripture, if you're looking up in your Bible today, is from Psalm 8. Uh, It's also in your bulletin. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Keith, for praying with us and reading scripture for us this morning. Let me, uh, let me start by mentioning a name to you, see how many of you are familiar with this name. How many of you have heard of the name Amanda Todd? Does that ring a bell? Some of you. I guess it is getting a little old, this story, but it's still very, very powerful. Um, on October 10th, 2012, Amanda Todd, who is a 16-year-old girl, uh, was found having hung herself in her home by her mother. Now, prior to having done this, Amanda had posted a video on YouTube, and you can still see this video today. It's got 13 million hits at least so far. And in that video, what she does is her life, the despair and pain uh, and darkness that she felt And it's a very, very powerful video because what she does is she has this music playing in the background, but she just stands there and she holds these flashcards and she she takes one flashcard and you read it and then you read the next, you read the next. And throughout it, uh, she tells this story of how she had been blackmailed and how she had been bullied horribly, how she had even been beaten up by some people at school once. And she she comes to the end of this video holding up these, these cards, and she, she, the last one says, the, the last two say, so the la- second last one, okay, I hope I start speaking better soon. Uh, the second last card says, I have nobody. I need someone. And then the last card says, my name is Amanda Todd. And what strikes me about this video and about these flashcards is the profound sense of aloneness, of isolation, of of being completely and utterly insignificant in the eyes of the world or in the eyes of her community that led Amanda to feel just so despairing that, that she didn't even want to live anymore. I have nobody. She felt utterly alone in the world. And then 
I am Amanda Todd, as if she's crying out for somebody, please, to acknowledge her, somebody to, to know her. That's, that's a deep and profound need that human beings have. We long to be known. We long to have somebody understand us, somebody to acknowledge us. We long to matter. The psychologists, the counselors, the therapists, they will tell you that to feel utterly alone, to feel like nobody cares about you, to feel like if you were to disappear, the world wouldn't even notice. That in itself is, is, a, is, a, is a type of hell. The idea is, is that, you know, a bad reputation is better than no reputation. I'd rather have people hate me or be angry with me than to have people not know me at all. That was Amanda Todd's existence. Every single day, she felt utterly alone. She felt like nobody cared a lick about her. Now, we've been going through the Psalms. We just started going through the Psalms. And one of the things we said last time was that one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is, is that they, they speak to our emotional needs. They don't just give voice to our emotional needs. They do that too. But they also speak to our emotional needs. And today, we're going to look at Psalm 8 and we're going to see how Psalm 8 speaks to those of you who feel like Amanda Todd did. For those of you who feel alone, ignored, unloved, you feel small, you feel unimportant, you feel unnoticed, sometimes to the degree that it just about breaks your heart. And you think, maybe if I was better, maybe it'd be better for everybody if I wasn't here at all. This psalm not only gives you comfort, deep, deep comfort, but it gives you a source of hope that I don't think you can find in any other place. It is incredibly good news for the Amanda Todds of this world. So let's look together at Psalm 8 and see what we can learn. This psalm, of course, is a, a psalm that is all about being amazed by God. It's all about the awesome glory and majesty of God. So verse 1 starts out with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So David, the psalmist, is expressing that there is something profoundly expressed, this astounding sense of, of awe and wonder at who God is. Well, it, it's right there in, in uh, verse 1 as well. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then in verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. Now, it's summertime, right? And it's vacation time. It's in the bush, some of us are like hardcore campers. You put the backpack on, you get the canoe, and you go as far away of civ as, from civilization as you probably can. Others of us are more glampers, right? We, we take a trailer, and we make sure that it's got a toilet and air conditioning. But we go out in the woods, at least not as far maybe, but we still go out in the woods. And when you're out in the woods and you're far from the light pollution of the city, at night you go out on the dock or you go out to the beach or you find a clearing in a field somewhere and you lay down on the grass and you look up at the sky and you just stare at the stars. And you say, 
the more stars you see, right? So you can't just, for those of you who don't know this, you can't just go out, lie down, have a look and go, wow, that's awesome, and get up and go home. You've got to stay there. You've got to let your eyes sort of, I don't know, what is it, dilate or something? And, and, and the longer you look, you know, after 10 minutes of staring into the sky, after 20 minutes of staring into the sky, you are astounded by the sky and the, the majesty of the starry host before you. It's awe-inspiring. And that maybe David was uh, reflecting on his time as a shepherd when he was out in the, uh, sleeping under the stars as a shepherd herding his flock and thinking about the majesty of the sky. Now, here's what I want to do with you for a minute. I want you to look at the front of your bulletin because there's a long quote there on the front of the bulletin. I'm, I wrote it, so it's not really a quote, like who am I, right? But um, <clears throat> look what it says. Our galaxy, that's just our galaxy, the Milky Way, contains approximately 150 to 250 billion stars. That's billion with a B. If one were to count them all at the rate of one star per second, it would take 9,500 years to count them all. That's naming one per, or counting one per second. There are an estimated 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. And we haven't even tracked the whole universe, right? So just in the observable universe, there are an estimated 100 billion galaxies, each with at least 100 billion stars. So in the observable galaxy, there are at least one zero 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 stars. And Isaiah 40, verse 20 says, 26 says this, Lift up your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them by name? God calls the stars by name. You know in the Bible we've talked about this, I don't know how many times, naming means knowing. You know what you are naming. In the Bible, it's very significant that God is the one who takes Abram and names him Abraham. He's saying to Abraham, I know you. I'm in an intimate, personal relationship with you. And Isaiah is saying that God knows this one, zero, 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 number of stars with that kind of intimacy. Now, how small do you feel right now? Do you feel like a gnat? utterly and completely insignificant, a nobody, a nothing, good, good, because you're ready for the next section. David looks at the natural world and sees the majesty of God, and it leads him to this question in verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. And if you're reading that and thinking to yourself, yeah, it's found the universe and us just, you know, on this little tiny marble spinning around the sun, which is, by the way, a pretty pathetic sun if you compare it to, or star compared to the stars you see through the Hubble's telescope. Uh, is he just saying, well, what is it that God even, even notices us? If it weren't for verse 5, I could understand that you would think that. But notice what he says in verse 5. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory 
and honor. Here's what David is saying. God made everything. He made the whole universe. The Milky Way, the stars, the natural order in which we live, and he made all of us. And that means everything. Notice that he says, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, your handiwork is another way of translating that. Meaning that, that everything that God has made in the universe is, is a work of art. It's God's craftsmanship. It's God's artistic expression. All of it is that. But here's the thing. Not all art is as precious or as valuable to the artist. There are some artists, you know, the great artists of the past who have, who have some art that they made for sort of popular uh, uh, use and, and um, uh, dissemination and then they had art that was very special and sacred art that gets sold for millions and millions of dollars and then they even have art that they won't sell at all because it's too precious, it's too much an expression of, of who they are, it's too much of an expression of, of their own heart that they keep it for themselves, they have to have it for themselves. And David is saying that human beings, you and me, we are that piece of art to God. It's all God's art, but you and I are that most precious crowning achievement of God's artistic handiwork. That's what he's saying. There is something uniquely special about us as those who are created in his image. So we have reasonable faculties. We want to learn things. We want to understand things. We have personal faculties. We want, we want relationships with others. We want to be in intimate uh, communion with, with, with God and with people. We have this eternal aspect. I don't think that, I've said this before, I don't think that, that, that uh, lions and gazelles out on the savannah survive. They're worried about their existence, so that's why a gazelle runs when a lion is chasing them. But they're not thinking to themselves, well, what happens if I get caught and I die? Like, where do I go and what's next? That's a uniquely human thing. We have a moral aspect. You don't see the lion running across the savannah chasing the gazelle thinking to itself, well, is it right for me to go after the little guy? Because his mom's going to be really upset. I don't know. He's hungry. His instinct says, eat he attacks the thing that he can most easily eat. Human beings have this moral aspect. We want to know what is right. We want to know what is wrong. We have an aesthetic aspect. We want to know what is beautiful. We, we need beauty. We need to connect with beauty. We, we go and during the summer months, unless we go to Canada to work in a kid's camp, we take our vacation and we go to beautiful places just to be in them, just to drink them in just to spend time in it because it is meaningful and powerful for us. And not only that, we're the crown of God's creation. We have that divine stamp, crowned with glory and honor, as it says in verse 5, but we also have this mandate to rule. In verse 6, we're given this divine mandate. It says, you made him to rule over the works of your hands. You put everything that we can get it means to steward. It means to take care of. It means to be put in charge on behalf of the creator and to humility. David is reflecting on all this stuff that I've just said to you to demonstrate God's greatness, not ours. To say how marvelous he is. That he would take you and me and give us this, this priority of place, so to speak. 
in his created order is meant to make us humble. It's meant to make us stand in awe of who he is. And that's why David dares to say, what is man that, that you are mindful of him? What does that mean, to be mindful? It's not just notice, okay? It's not just like, you know, I've made all these wonderful things in this universe. Oh, yeah, I made human beings too. I've got to remember that. I've got to be mindful of that. That's not what it means at all. Think about that art again. For God to be mindful of you and me means that God sees us as his most precious, valued aspect of his creation to the extent that he is, of all the things he's made, he is preoccupied with us. You know that Willie Nelson song? You are always on my mind. You are always on my mind. That's it. God's mind is, is dominated by us. We are his most precious artwork. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, that you dominate the mind of God, that you are uh, 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 such a, 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 an important aspect of his creation that he can't get enough of you? Think about this. When you, some of you are artists. I'm not an artist. But some of you are artists. Maybe you're a mu you know, musically artistic. Maybe you're visually artistic or whatever. You produce something. You work really, really hard at producing something that is an expression of your heart. What you love. What matters to you. What it, creating that piece of art. You sit back. And you look at it. And you just love it. You cherish it. You delight in it. Maybe you hang it up on the wall in your house and every time you walk by, you go, man, I love that painting. Maybe you make a piece of music and you record it and every time you, you play it, you listen to it and you go, oh man, I just, that just sets my heart soaring. Maybe, you, maybe you're a photographer and you took just the most brilliant painting or picture, photograph, and, and you frame that thing or you have it on your phone or something and every time you look at it, it sets your heart singing. David is saying that that's how God is with us. The God who made the galaxies, who knows the stars by name. Now, here's the thing. You need this like you need air to breathe and water to live. Every single one of us in this room, in some way, longs to be known and longs to be remembered. We want to count. Some of you are killing yourselves to look the right way or to get the right friends. Some of us are killing ourselves to have the right job, to raise the right family, to make the right money, to get the, the, the proper grades, to get the, 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 the reputation because we desperately want to be known. We want someone to come alongside and say, I've noticed you, I've seen you. Maybe it's a, a mom who is raising really, really great kids and, and other moms come up and say, you know, my kids are a disaster and they run rockets all over the place and half the time, you know, that I can't even get them to keep their clothes on during the day. And your kids are so well-behaved. I wish I was like you. And you go, you noticed. 
Or maybe you're a businessman and you have uh, uh, other businessmen coming to you and say, man, you're successful. What I want you to do is I want you to mentor me. Can I spend some time with you? I'll even pay for the coffee and we'll just sit down and, and you can tell me about how you were successful and the things that you did. And, 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 and you walk away thinking, man, you noticed. Rock past her in such a way that she'll notice. And Psalm 8 is here to tell you, you know, you already matter. You already matter to the one that matters. The creator in you. You know, sometimes people ask, you know, where, where do you find the gospel in the Old Testament? And what they mean is they want a, a passage of Scripture that expresses the gospel in the Old Testament. And, and Zephaniah 3 is one of the places that expresses the gospel in a most beautiful way in the Old Testament. Listen to what Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Now, how many of us here are comfortable with a picture of the God of the universe? I know you can't picture the God of the universe because he's a spirit, but you get what I'm saying. A picturing the God of the universe looking over you and singing a song of joy and celebration about you. that. It all sounds so nice. But how do you know it's true? There's two things you need to know it's true. You need the Word of God and you need the Son of God. Let me explain. First of all, the Word of God. You need you need the scriptures. You see, it's in the scriptures that it's revealed to you that this is how God feels about you. But it's in the scriptures as well that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God impresses upon you. It's through the scriptures that God impresses upon you that this is true. See, this is not me telling you. This is not Pastor Paul sitting here trying to tell you, look, God who made you and created you and redeemed you through Jesus Christ, he really, 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 really loves you. Believe it. It's not my opinion. Frankly, it's not even the opinion of the church. This is the truth of the word of God, the one who, who created the universe and spoke it into, the universe, into, into being. He actually knew that you and I needed to be told by his own lips that this was true. And so he gave us the word. I'll never forget hearing um, Brian Chapel. There's a story of... Uh, a youth pastor who was trying to get across to his youth group just how powerful the scriptures speak to our personal circumstances and situations. So he, what he did was he, he uh, set up a room with all the circles in a chair, or sorry, <laughs> all the chairs in a circle, and he had his youth group come into this room and they all went to a different chair and they sat down. And on the chair, as they sat down, they saw that there was a scripture verse on a piece of paper. And so they sat down. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. One of you is going to get up. We're going to blindfold you. We're going to put you in uh, the middle of the room. And then you're going to uh, share something about your life, what's going on. And then you, the rest of us are going to look at our scripture passage. And if it's appropriate, we'll speak that scripture passage to the person. 
Well, of course, it's a typical, you know, youth group, and all the kids are like, I don't want to do that. That sounds lame. That's not cool. Not me. I'm not doing it. So they're all looking at their feet. Finally, this new girl, she kind of gets up and says, fine. She sits down, and she gets in the middle of the room. She puts her blindfold on, and it's kind of quiet for a minute, and then she starts. And the first thing she says is, I am so miserable, I don't know if I can stand my life anymore. And all the other kids are like, well, that's heavy. And they don't know what to do, and they're kind of staring at their toes. And then finally, one of them looks at their sheet and uh, looks up and says, but we'll provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. And she responds with, whatever, nobody cares about me. Somebody else looks at their piece of paper. But I have loved you with an everlasting love and have called you with loving kindness. Kindness. And she's getting really frustrated. So finally she's bawling and she's crying and she just screams, like kind of bursts out. And she says, you don't get it. You don't understand. My parents kicked me out last night and said, never come back. Somebody picked up a paper and said, even though my mother and father forsake me, I will never leave you. Now she's just whimpering. She's like, why doesn't God talk to me like that? And the youth pastor said, he does. Each one of those things was the word of God spoken to you. You see, in Scripture, you discover God's heart, and his heart beats with a love for you that is beyond what you can fathom. And you need scripture because in scripture you encounter the second thing, which is the, word, which is the Son of God. You know, Psalm 8 says that we are created. We are created for glory, right? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We're made for glory. We're made for honor. So, so you're longing to be known. You're longing to be to matter, to be meaningful, to count to someone, to even have greatness, frankly, is normal. It's, it's, it's rooted in your DNA. And in fact, if you go back in the beginning of the Bible to the first ver uh, verse chapters of Genesis, you discover that our first parents were created with that glory, with that honor. They had it. They had the glory and honor of God as he walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. They had that intimacy. They were fully known and fully accepted. But then if you read, continue to read, you discover that they lost it. They lost it because they, they chose to be their own masters, their own lords. They chose not to submit themselves to the will of this God. And they chose to live according to their own wishes and their own desires and they were now so desperately want to be known but are so desperately afraid of being known that they're actually taking fig leaves and trying to cover themselves from one another in them in them and they're diving into the bushes to hide from the all-knowing all-seeing God like think about how silly that is you know and you do it all the time right you sin thinking nobody knows as though you can get away from the all-seeing, all-knowing God. But he sees everything, and he is everywhere. And you know, ever since our first parents did that, every single one of us has been living the same way. 
with this longing to be fully known, but this terrible fear that if we are fully known, we'll be rejected because we know, maybe not comprehensively, but we know significantly the depths of sin of our hearts. It's like a mirror that was reflecting brightly the light that was shining on it, deciding to kind of turn and, and, and now trying to, to shine into the world but having nothing to reflect anymore. We lost the glory. We lost the honor. But the gospel, you see, the gospel is this. The Son of God won back what we lost. Jesus Christ came into the world as the God-man, God in the flesh, clothed in humanity to live among us and to show us that we are loved by God. And the most powerful, the most dramatic, the the most impactful way he showed us that God loved us was that he went to the cross and he died on it. You know, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 2, he says something that is absolutely mind boggling. I've been reflecting on these words all week and I still cannot wrap my heads around it. He says, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he suffered on that cross and he died on that cross because he loved us. And when he did that, he, was a, he became a fragrant offering to God. In other words, he completely satisfied God. What does it mean to satisfy God? What's required to satisfy God? You can't even satisfy yourself. How on earth are you and I going to ever be able to satisfy God? But Paul says that Jesus actually satisfied God when he died on the cross in your place and my place. And so now this is what that means. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in him, and when God looks at you, all he sees in you is absolute sweetness, absolute beautiful fragrance in his nostrils. All he sees is complete satisfaction in Jesus Christ. That's what he sees in you. He is satisfied with you. you. Some of us are trying because we've been raised in religious contexts and because we didn't understand the gospel we have been trying so hard to please God by making sure we've done the right things and in Jesus. He satisfied the Father so completely so that when he looks at you all he sees, he doesn't see your failures, your shortcomings, your screw-ups, on and on and on again. What does he see? He sees someone who he delights in, who he cherishes. That's what God thinks of when he thinks of you. Now, what do we got to do? Very quick closing application. What do we have to do with this? Robert Murray McShane, a great preacher, once said, For every one look at sin, you've got to take ten looks at your Savior. Some of you are so weighed down by your guilt and your shortcomings and your failures that all you think about is how you suck and how you will never, ever, ever be able to make God happy. And it's weighing you down. And you have got to actually repent of that because you still believe in some kind of weird works righteousness. Deep down in your soul, you think that somehow you're supposed to be able to pull it off and you're mad at yourself because you're not pulling it off. And you need to repent of that, and you need to start looking at your Savior. 
and start seeing his death as this incense that God breathes in and is so fully satisfied that he breaks out in a smile as he delights in you. And for those of you who feel so alone, who feel so isolated, who feel like nobody matters and nobody cares, you have got to look at the cross and focus on the cross and see there that the lies the devil has been telling you or your own heart has been telling you are, are undone by seeing the Son of God clothed in the flesh, loving you so much that he was willing to suffer the wrath of an almighty creator who created billions upon billions of stars simply by saying, let there be. So that you could be known fully and completely by that creator. So that when your parents say, you'll never amount to anything, it'll hurt, but it won't destroy you because your identity is rooted much, much deeper than your parents' approval. When that girl says, sorry, dude, I'm not interested, you'll be hurt, but you won't be destroyed because your identity is rooted much, much deeper and when your kids' camp is pretty good, but the people leaving say, yeah, but I really liked it. Other churches down the street better. Their snacks were better. You'll be like, well, that kind of hurts. But it won't destroy you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe. We stand in awe. But please, help us believe. Help us believe Give us a grand vision of the cross. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's it. May we suck on this truth that Jesus was a fragrant offering and sacrifice and he did it because he loved us. May we suck on this truth until it so shapes us we can face anything. In Jesus we pray, amen.